Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. On today's podcast, we're talking to Commander Tom Jones, another retired Navy JAG, and he is not the Tom Jones that you're thinking about. This is the real deal. This is a guy who did it all in the Navy. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Uh, when I gave a presentation the first time to what seemed like the entire JAG Corps as a lieutenant, I got the same intro and I was dared to sing a verse. So I'm going to give it a go. It's I was not unusual to be loved by anyone. I got to say, Tom, I was actually at that. I think it was a JAG training symposium. <laughs> it was. You know, here I was, an aged lieutenant commander. I thought, who the hell is this guy? But I tell uh, you, that was the quickest way to end a career and in a memorable way. So, <laughs> so Tom, you've been out for what, about two years now? So, right. I retired the uh, officially the, the end of 2019 in December. So uh, about a year and a half to what yeah, pandemic time stretches things. So. Uh, how how long is that? Yeah, that's uh, about a year and a half. And how many how many years did you do active duty? Twenty and uh, twenty one, I think. What were some of the fun things? What was what what kind of tours did you have while you were on active duty? So I joined the Navy thinking I'm going to sail the seven seas and be on ships and and do all that fun stuff. And my active duty started at the end of 1999, and 9/11 kicked off. I was over in Japan. Soon after that, I was boots in the sand in a lot of different places, Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, and in Yemen and all throughout the Middle East. So a large portion in Bahrain and a large portion of my career was not spent on the seven seas, uh, but in the seven sands. And so I, I proudly call myself a, a sandy, dirty sailor, I guess. I don't know. There's a couple of different terms for it. When you referred or I referred to the training symposium, I was uh, one of the first waves of JAGs embedded with the Navy SEAL teams. So I did the standard tour of prosecutor in Jacksonville, defense counsel, legal assistance division type stuff in uh, Nilso Pacific and Yokosuka. Then I was with the SEALs and I was down there on the grinder in uh, Naval Special Warfare Center, otherwise known as BUDS, feeling great, enjoying that San Diego sun. Had two surfboards in the closet in my office and had a great legal man. Things were great. Then I spent half my time with the SEALs in different places than San Diego's. In an odd way, as a lieutenant, mid-level to senior lieutenant, I knew that was the pinnacle. I knew at the time. I'd always kind of considered myself one tour and out, maybe two tour, but the Navy just kept sending me to cool places to do cool jobs. So it just quickly became a career. And uh, well, next thing you know, you're at 20. A lot of old timers would tell me, ah, it goes so fast. You don't believe them because you're 20 some years old, you're young, and just 20 years seems like a, an eternity when you're 25. But it wasn't, and they were right. And you know, I was telling O3 is the same thing, uh, you know, my last job as deputy at UCOM. And we had some uh, health issues. Father, My father-in-law has a pretty large ranching operation in the panhandle of Oklahoma. And so my wife it was the deputy PAO at UCOM, and I was the deputy JAG there working for Chris French. We were at that decision point. Well, do we stay in? Do we go back to D.C.? We had a house a couple minutes from the Pentagon. And really, at the end of the day, it was a family service that we kind of drew us out of our federal careers. But, you know, we, we were also... Did it willingly and then uh, came out here to the panhandle of Oklahoma. I'm a Baltimore City boy. So 
like yes. from the inner city, like put a pin in the map of Baltimore. That's where I grew up. And here uh, it's, it's the exact opposite. We have a population. We're in between towns, so we're not really even in town. Panhandle, Beaver County, Oklahoma, uh, population of Gate, the nearest town, 77 people. The next nearest town, population three, Knowles, Oklahoma. So. And what's the closest naval base? <laughs> I heard there was a Coast Guard billet somewhere out in uh, Antenna, somewhere in the Panhandle like 20 years ago. I think that's the closest you'll get. Maybe a few of the man-made lakes around here. We ended up punching a little earlier than we thought. Not ideal because we were in that overseas, very army-centric environment of UCOM. And so being a, a Navy guy over there trying to retire had some challenges. And you know, ideally, that wasn't, that wasn't the greatest uh, way to, to punch out or to, to retire. But timing was, hey, uh, you know, we got to go. We got to get to this ranch. And because none of my wife's siblings knew anything about ranching. So if something happened, and now my father-in-law is in pretty good health, I was actually surprised he's, he outworks me. So I'm glad he's in great shape, but uh, we came out here as soon as we could. So wait a minute, Tom, wait, wait a minute. I gotta, I gotta stop you there. None of her siblings knew about ranching and they're from Oklahoma. What yeah. does a guy from Baltimore know about ranching? Not did you watch, did you watch a YouTube video? You know, funny, funny enough, though, I, I did work uh, for a summer in Wales, you know, where Tom Jones is from on a sheep farm and a dairy farm. So I do for a city guy, for Baltimore City guy, I got a little experience under my belt. Nothing when it comes to cattle ranching or farming and the detail of, you know, because there's the animal husbandry side, there's the business side, there's all kinds of things that come with running a ranch. And my father-in-law, he was a submariner senior chief, retired out of Groton and brought his family out where they were originally from out here. My wife's supported Navajo. So, you know, her roots go way, way back. And her other side of the family was here for the land rush. So it means a great deal for her to be back here. Her siblings, you know, really were, were just out here for high school. And then three out of the four went to the Naval Academy. So they were uh, out here working on the farm, knew about the farm, knew kind of where things were, but really needed somebody to come out here and learn the intricate details. It's hard to retire from an overseas location, but you guys pulled it off. So was your first focus uh, on getting there and, and getting into plugged into the farm? Or were you also simultaneously looking for legal work as you were leaving Europe? The legal work for me, and I, you know, when you're talking resume building and, and networking, I'm probably the worst guy to talk to about it because I, I do, I work at the only law firm in the county, Beaver County, Oklahoma. So they were really happy to hear that a lawyer in a 5,000 person county uh, was coming into town. And actually, funny enough, some of y'all might know uh, Rob Crow. He's from the town right here in Knowles, the town of three people that probably used to be about 11 when he was here. Oddly enough, two Navy Jags have been in, in this square five-mile radius uh, that only has 10 people in it total. So this firm, Trippin & Key, kind of does the, the gamut of good country law firm practice. Everything pretty much except for divorces. Well, obviously, you don't want to lose half your client base in a country law firm. So uh, we refer those out, but pretty much everything else. And a lot of transactional property stuff, right, which I had zero background in. But I'm a lawyer. I Got barred in uh, Oklahoma because I was a Maryland attorney. That's another little thing, right? So when a lot of people are looking to retire, obviously, as attorneys, we want to look at the bar situation. Are these jurisdictions, can I wave in? And it was an odd battle. I won't get into the details, but a Marine had challenged Oklahoma's requirements. They, they were reciprocal with a few states, and they weren't reciprocal with a few states, right? I mean, just, there are some states that aren't reciprocal at all. 
Anyway, Oklahoma said no to this Marine who had retired uh, probably like a year before I retired. So I somebody gave me this case law or maybe I looked it up and I found it and it was like, this guy is me. And they let him in. Uh, the Supreme Court of Oklahoma let him in. So he was barred, even though when I applied, they had not yet changed the rule. So I put that on my cover letter. Hi, I'm Tom Jones looking to wave in. And here's this case law. This is me. I'm that guy. They accepted me in. Coming here with an Oklahoma bar license was the big challenge. The job was the easy part. And then, of course, not having a background in anything that we do out here, because we do a lot of oil and gas, a lot of property. Any Anytime property changes hands out here, and it does quite often, because you can imagine the rural pastures and the different kind of lands, and you, you have to understand the oil and the gas rights and the mineral rights, things that just really had, I had zero, zero background in. Sometimes in the Navy, we complain, oh, I only got a week of turnover. Or maybe sometimes you get no turnover, some binders. Uh, he just said, go, <laughs> you know, like go and you're an attorney. You've been doing it for 20 some years. I enjoyed that part of it because it was a little bit different from the Navy, but it constantly bug him and I'm outside his office. But when you're billing hours, you got to be doing the work. So let's unpack some things there. First of all, an observation that once again, you have a Marine leading the assault. But, you know, that's something that we don't often think about or think about enough is the, the whole bar status. The other part is something I think a lot of us struggle with is the, well, I don't, I don't know mental rights. I don't know gas rights. So let's talk about that. That's a big thing as we leave this very niche practice of the Navy of personnel law, rules of engagement, you name it, there's very little unless you've been in litigation or civil or criminal that really, really translate into the civil sector. So talk about the ramp up on and becoming knowledgeable on all these things that you mentioned. Great question. Uh, but let me real, uh, I'll get back to the bar thing real quick. So I was a Maryland attorney, which is like Florida. It doesn't have reciprocity with anyone because you know, we're the vanguard against the DC lawyers, right? So, you know, there's a reason Maryland doesn't have reciprocity. That being said, when I learned that we we're going to come over here and I, I did have about probably a year and a half to two years to prepare for retirement while, while we were over there, when we made that decision. And so I waved into DC, which then has reciprocity with Oklahoma. But one of the things the Marine did for me is there was a, a, a language in there, right? Saying, that you had to be in your jurisdiction, physically located, practicing in that jurisdiction for five out of the last seven years, something, right? Which no military JAG is going to fall under that uh, rule. So the Supreme Court of Oklahoma then said, yeah, this, we understand this is not a reasonable rule. This uh, Marine's been practicing for whatever it was. Uh, it might've been 20, might've been less. But anyway, so, so I saw the writing on the wall with that case. And then I waved into DC, knew that I, I might have a battle with the time and practice, but that was waived by uh, by Oklahoma Bar. So anyway, there are ways to do it. Even if you can't get into Florida directly, uh, maybe there's some navigate, you know, that's what we do. We're lawyers, you know, we're, we, we right. navigate the channels, right? First time I looked at a property abstract, you know, something from 1907, hand scribbled ledger of, of all this information. Uh, it's like anything else though. You learn what's important, uh, you have attention to detail. We already know how to write. I may be assuming a lot here, but because of the amount of memos that we write, because of the amount of writing that we do as military judge advocates, I think our writing skills are usually probably, you know, in the top there of, of the lawyer profession. There, there's probably some 
some Supreme Court type lawyers that are much better at writing. But I do think we develop that skill. And it's probably a skill that we don't think about much in, in terms of looking for things, attention to detail, right? That's, that's standard military stuff. And then writing in effective communication, short, concise. When I interviewed with my my boss, I mean, it, w- it was an interview, but I knew he needed the help. And they have a lot of business coming in. So, so much business that really we could use three more attorneys. So if anybody's looking to come out to the Panhandle, Oklahoma, it, it might be a, a adjustment to your lifestyle, but uh, we could use another attorney out here. So you, you get to all this foreign stuff and, you know, you learn the lingo and you learn. It's, it it kind of did remind me, though, of, you know, fresh out of Naval Justice School, you had a little background, you, you, you know, so I had a little legal background. I took property, you know, I, I took torts, but, you know, it had been forever since I tapped into that database. But then you learn the local swing of things and it's like anything else. You just, you start doing it. And luckily my boss, he let me go on my own, but he also was a, a good source of checking things before they went out the door or before they went to the client. And it's like anything else, because if you did a legal assistance tour, whatever walked in that uh, legal assistance, no appointment day. Uh, was, you know, it was kind of, I I was one, probably the few people that enjoyed legal assistance because I liked just the fact that you never knew what you were going to get. It was a Forrest Gump life is like a box of chocolates kind of day. My wife always said that that was my very first tour in the Navy. She was kind of sad when I went to prosecution because I had no more crazy stories of you won't believe what walked in the door today. But on that writing piece, have you found that those years of being taught to write for the operator who doesn't have a lot of time to go into an in-depth legal analysis of writing for the operational line officer, that has paid dividends? Or did you find that you had to, once again, relearn how to write like a lawyer uh, for lawyers? Yeah. I mean, I guess it could, you know, depending on where you end up, it could go a lot of ways. But for me, when I wrote my first memo to my boss, the partner's they were like, wow, that's that's an amazing memo. And, and so then I became the memo guy for a while. But, you know, in, in terms of research, I'm still kind of, I, so I think they appreciated that because I was writing like I would have written to the, you know, Admiral or General or Commanding Officer or the NILSO. Uh, well, not NILSO. Now, now I'm dating myself. Do we still have NILSOs? Well, we have Naval Legal Service Command, but not NILSOs. So I do, I do think that was, for me, very helpful. I didn't realize I was, I, you know, I thought I, had decent writing skills and, and could write a decent memo, especially after UCOM, where you know I was chopping on every single thing as the deputy that went up to the leadership uh, and had two great bosses, Chris French, you, you can't you can't beat him, and Eric Young, Army Colonel. So for me, it was great translation. But we're not an academic firm; we're a country lawyer firm, and so you know we need to get to the point. And one of the things I think that not being a, from around here, and it's very important because. Family name goes a long way here, and whether they know you or not goes a long way. So understanding just cultural differences and how people out here do business and how people speak and picking up on that served me well, I think, here. And I picked that up living and working around the world when you're working with the Japanese self-defense force or you're in Bahrain or in Germany working with NATO. These are things we are bred for. And I think especially the Navy JAG Corps uh, is always with a mindset towards the strategic, political, legal mush. And, and that cultural part was super important even here where you think, well, it's uh, it's pretty, pretty basic Midwestern, uh, Southwestern area of Oklahoma, but there's a different way and there is a way of doing things around here. And, and you don't pick up on that. And I don't have the accent. I can, I can fake it, but uh, 
you know, they know I'm not from around here, but I also have good family ties here. My father-in-law's name is uh, well, well recognized and rings out. And so I did have that advantage and, you know, that credibility. Actually, I was elected to office out here and I was uh, elected to the Beaver District Conservation Board. It's a bit like a city council around here. We don't have city councils, but uh, a lot of USDA money comes in, federal funding, future of agriculture, technology, which direction we're going, uh, all those kind of decisions are being made. So it's a bit like being a city councilman in this area. So in addition to COVID, I did a program of master's in sustainability. I'm actually finishing up on the thesis side of things this coming semester. So that kind of gave me that insight as to what agriculture is looking at and gave me a little background there to help with those things. But I am not bringing any kind of agricultural expertise into these meetings. A little bit of an academic background, but also translate anywhere, wherever you go, you know, writing well, communicating well. Um, I'm probably better at writing than speaking, as most of you listening can probably tell already. You know, you got to know where your skill set lies. And so we'll get a beer or two in me. I'll talk. I'll talk all night. What bull do you prefer to deal with on the ranch or in the legal setting? Wow. It is really a, <laughs> I say a, I work around people BS or cow BS, and, uh, you know, or BS BS, like bull BS. It, it really, <laughs> sometimes it smells the same. Cow BS probably smells better. It's kind of cool because, again, they would take me seven days a week if I could do it. But I told them, hey, my obligations are to the ranch, but I'm, you know, happy to. And because I've learned a lot of things, too, that, that also not only uh, benefit the firm, but also benefit the ranch. Because now I understand property the way it works out here, uh, you know, mineral rights. I mean, those things are very valuable to uh, a 10,000 acre ranch uh, and an yeah. operation. So uh, you might not think there's a lot of lines that marry up, but there are. And yeah, it's, uh, I, I kind of like the juxtaposition. You know, I like, I like one day working in boots and uh, being out there sweating in a hundred degrees. Uh, and then, you know, the next day I get to go in nice air conditioning and sit in front of a computer screen uh, for eight hours. One of the things I would say that I miss though, and this is going to kill a lot of people that are still active duty because one of my biggest pet peeves, especially at UCOM, was as a deputy, I'd have like eight hours in meetings some days, you know, just meetings, meetings. And then I'd finally get to do my work, you know, at 17, 1800. But I don't have any meetings beyond a client meeting. Right. But there's no like there's no there's I mean, we do, we do sync, uh, you know, through um, my case or some electronic format. So I kind of miss meetings. Everybody's saying what this guy's been spending too much time you know, inhaling methane, you know, out in the cow pasture. But yeah, I do. Every once in a while, I just miss the movement of going from one room to the other. And of course, what I miss most is the uh, the big picture, working on really important things. Not not to say that I'm not doing important. Something you know. something bigger than yourself. Absolutely. So so we uh, so that kind of leads me into we're not planning on being out here forever. Eventually, we're going to go back to my hometown of Baltimore like to get involved there in some capacity, whether it's run for mayor or work for some nonprofits. I'm a Baltimore city kid. I came from there. It's a, it's a place with a lot of issues and, and a lot of sure. problems sitting out here uh, for the rest of my life. I just wouldn't feel right about not going back and trying to, trying to solve a few of those. Even if it's the, you know, filling in some potholes, looking forward to, to that next adventure. So we'll, we'll do a few years out here. The great thing about if you retire, you know, in the military, I mean, you're still max what 55. I mean, if you're retiring at the 30 year mark, you know, something like that. Uh, I retired at 45, you know, so, you know, you're a relatively young person. 
I even thought that when I was 25, you know, when I was yeah. an ensign, I said, oh, you know, this 20 year gig, it might be a bad, it might not be a bad thing because 45 is not that old. As a psychiatrist would like to say, I'm sorry, we're out of time. Well, I appreciate that because I, I felt like I was on the couch for a minute and I feel like I got some, <laughs> some therapy and at least some, some human interaction. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's Tom Jones. Thanks a lot, Tom. Booyah. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.